good. My name is Pastor Cameron. If you're new here or visiting, we want to welcome here, uh, welcome you to Conduit. Um, last week was uh, last week was a big week for us here, um, and uh, I mean, in all reality, every week is a big week for us here, and we believe that. Uh, we try not to waste anything, uh, to waste any opportunity, try not to waste. Um, any, any opportunity that God gives us to proclaim the gospel. You know, and this is a, this is a gospel type of situation. This is a, a gospel type of season. Not that there are non-gospel type of seasons, but if there is ever a time where uh, we need to firmly plant our feet in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, it's now. Amen? So, thank you, Vinny. Um... So, uh, last week I uh, I shared kind of four four little points that have been guiding me, and that I've been praying through and searching the scripture regarding um, in this whole season that we're in, and I'm going to remind you of them. Um, there are these four things because we're going to talk about them this morning. Was, number one is that sin sin is real. It's not made up. It's not imaginary. Um, it's not some spiritual concept that Christians or churches invented in order to make people feel guilty and come to church. Sin, sin is real. That uh, consequences are real. That there are that there are consequences for the decisions that we make. That there are consequences that sit in eternity, and that there are consequences that sit in the here. And in the now. Um, as real as sin is, and as real as consequences um, are, forgiveness is also real. Uh, you're going to hear me say today um, that no matter how great our sin, the forgiveness of God is always greater. No matter how wide it is, our sin is, the forgiveness of God is always wider. No matter how deep the depth of our sin, the depth of God's forgiveness is always deeper. We can't outrun it, right? There is no place that we can go um, where the forgiveness of God will not reach the repentant heart. And then, um, of course, sin is real, consequences are real, forgiveness is real. Um, but if there is one point and one point only that I want you to walk away with this morning and every morning, it's that Jesus always wins. That there, uh, there is always victory in Jesus. Um, I was uh, talking to one of our uh, leadership team members early this week. I don't know if he's here or not. I was going to give him credit. Yeah, he is here. Pete's here. Um, I was going to give I'm going to give Pete credit because I was talking on the phone and he said to me, um, uh, he said, you know, those four points that you that you talked about you know, yesterday in church, like, I feel like those are, that's a sermon that could be preached every week, you know, that's a, that's something that I need to hear, like, once a month, at least, like, that, it transcends time or context, right, sin is real, consequences are real, forgiveness is real, and Jesus always wins, it's like, there isn't a more timeless message than that, and I said, well, um, 
Thank you, Pete, because I've been stewing. Um, I've been stewing about what in the world do you preach <laughs> like now? Like what? Like will you stand up? Like you get on? You know, like what in the world do you? Where, where do you even go? Right, and I, I heard the Holy Spirit very clearly through Pete in that moment, say that you don't have to go anywhere else. Like, the gospel's not like the message doesn't change. The hope doesn't change. Right, the word. The word, the word doesn't change. The, the weeks change and the situations change, but with the way in which God's word and God's spirit speaks into your situation, my situation, our situation, every situation doesn't change. And at the end of the day, the answer to the question, whatever the question is, is always going to be Jesus. That's going to be the answer. Um, and so um, Pete, Pete gets sermon credit this week. Um, I'm going to start giving out gold stars for those who make it into the sermons. Um, I may spend a little bit more time this morning on the reality um, of sin than anything else. And um, that maybe is both intentional but also, I think, uh, a corrective that um, that the church desperately needs and that followers of Jesus desperately need. Um, you know, I, I believe that, that we, and by we I mean us, and by us I mean me and you and all people who proclaim faith in Jesus, I think we still struggle uh, to believe on a daily basis. We still struggle to believe in the depth of human sinfulness. You know, we, we chalk it up to, um, we chalk it up to maybe a, a bad decision here or there, or a mistake here or there, a, a, um, merely something that is on the surface of our lives rather than really woven deeply into who we are as people. We say, we say things like, um, we say things like, we describe families as good, right? Or he's a good man. She's a good woman. They're just such a, they're, they're just such a great, like, good, wholesome family. And, and listen, I understand, and um, I get it. We have this idea of um, what goodness is. We have this idea of what it means to be a good person, and um, and our culture does us no favors in um, supporting that goodness comes from the things that we do, or the words that we say, right, or um, the way in which we carry ourselves, or how like spit shined our shoes are, right? The the world does us no favor does us no favors in, in supporting the belief that goodness somehow rests in the things that we do or who we are or, or what we say. But if we are honest with ourselves and if we allow the scripture to speak into our hearts, we know that the scripture tells us a different story, right? And if I'm honest with myself, um, I know that when I'm lying awake in bed at night, I, I know, right, what sits in here. 
Right? And, I, and I know the, the power and the strength and the grace and mercy of, of God that, that restrains all of my evilness and, and wickedness in love. And that I am, I am not intrinsically a good person. Right? I, am, I am intrinsically a wicked person. I am, I am intrinsically a, a sinful person. And if there is anything good in me at all, if there is anything in me that presents as good, it is Jesus. It is not Cameron. The only thing good in me is him. So when we allow ourselves to you know, begin in patterns of thought that say like, well, we are basically good and we just do bad things. We, we solidify um, and support this idea that we do, that we are good people who sometimes do bad things rather than bad people who sometimes do good things. Why is this important? Why, why would we spend all of this time talking about how bad we are? Like, like, how about Debbie Downer of a sermon, right? Like, wah, wah, wah. No one wants to hear that, right? No one wants to hear how bad we are. No one wants to. But, but I, I mean, honestly, you know why I don't want to hear how bad I am? Because I know how bad I am, and I don't want to be reminded of it, right? I'm working really hard to convince myself of another reality than what I know exists within me. And whenever anyone reminds me of what the truth actually is, I gotta like redo all of the work of convincing myself that no, you're okay. You, you can do this. Scripture declares in more than one uh, in more than one place. We'll give us a few examples here this morning um, that. Sinfulness is um, not some random act of bad choices or mistakes, but that it is, it is woven into the fabric of every human being, of every child, right? Of every um, elderly person, of every middle-aged person, of every mom and dad, brother and sister, husband and wife, that no one is immune from it. Probably... Um, the ones that you're most familiar with are out of like Romans chapter 3. Of course, of course Romans chapter 3, um, verse 23 is probably the, the uh, most famous, so to speak. And Paul declares that um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That, that, there is, that there is an inclusion of every man, woman, and child into the heritage of sinfulness. Um, earlier in that same chapter of Romans chapter 3, he, Paul drives this point home even further when he, he, um, he draws on the Psalms and the Hebrew Scriptures to say to new Christians that, hey, the depth of human sinfulness is not something that is just a Christian idea, but it's been known for a long time. Like the Jews got it, right? And 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 before the before before the Jewish nation, right? Um, 
the predecessors of Abraham got it. And, and Noah got it, right? And Adam and Eve got it. And Cain and Abel, they, they all got it. That, that um, what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10, there is no one that is righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Like, whoa, Paul. Like, come on, man. We're trying to be, like, seeker-sensitive here. And nice, like, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, let's sing a song, right? But, I mean, listen, um, the message of Scripture is abundantly clear, is that we're not okay, we're not okay. Things are not okay. And the reason, actually the, the, the reason that we have a message to preach at all is because we're not okay. Because without the not okayness of each and every one of us, right, the, the life and, and sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus means nothing. If I'm okay and you're okay and we can make ourselves okay by just how good we can be and the things that we can do, then the death and resurrection of Jesus is a farce and didn't need to happen, right? Because if I can save myself and if I'm not that bad, then what in the world did Jesus die for? And so... You can't have a right conversation about the immensity of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ without also equally balancing the immensity of our sinfulness. They go hand in hand. They are equal on the teeter-totter. You must have them together. Remove one and it goes whoop. And here is where I become most aware that we have fully conditioned ourselves to believe that we're not that bad. It's that we get surprised, shocked, horrified when a sinful person does something sinful. It completely catches us off guard. That when, 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 when someone who the scripture says is, no one is righteous, not even one. All have turned away. There is no one who does good, not even one. Listen, we should not at all be surprised when sinful people do sinful things. In fact, if we, are, if we are taking the depth of human sinfulness as serious that it seems that Scripture takes it, is that we should be surprised that when a guy like me does something that appears to be good. Like, whoa. It's kind of out of character. He's being nice. Right? He's speaking words of truth. He's showing compassion.
That should be what surprises us. That should be what amazes us. That should be what, what, what completely astounds us. That, that, the, that the human character through the, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and by faith in Jesus Christ can overcome even for brief moments the depth of its own sinfulness to incarnate the love of Jesus Christ to someone else. That should be the moment that like, whoa! But instead, somehow, we've conditioned ourselves, our relationships, our churches to be the complete opposite. Where the shock comes not in moments of righteousness, but in moments of sin. Listen, we've lost our way. We've lost our need for a savior that does what saviors do. This kind of conditioning, the way that we condition ourselves in this way, is uh, we, com- we become, I believe, uh, we become complacent in what we believe um, are like smaller and lesser forms of sin that we rationalize as not hurting anyone, kept in secret, not that big of a deal when, to, when compared to X or Y or Z, right? You know, of course, it's always like the, the, um, the white lie story. Like, is a white lie okay? And we call it a white lie, right? Because, we, well, the lie, it's innocent, right? No one really gets hurt from it. And so we, we attach this whiteness to it as a sign of purity of lying. I don't know. I don't get it. But um, we, we, call it a, we call it a white lie. And we, we, we rationalize its presence in our life, right? And then, and then after we rationalize that, right, it seems easier to rationalize just the slightly more serious white lie. And then it seems even easier to then rationalize the, maybe we're getting like, not necessarily into a black lie, but we're like gray lie. Charcoal lie. Lie lie. Right? And, and so... The, 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 the process of becoming comfortable in sinfulness is gradual. You know, if you, um, if you ask someone, I probably should have asked someone who actually has experience in this, because I don't, and I'm kind of talking where I don't have any expertise right now, but if you ask someone who is like, um, knows how to follow a compass long distances, right, like, I know which way is north, south, east, and west because I can see the sun, right? But if you ask someone who, like, actually can follow a compass, maybe someone who um, knows how to navigate a ship or sails or whatever, and they have, a, they have a point that they need to get to a long ways away, and they can't, they can't see that point, right? It's way off in the distance, but they have it, they have a, a path plotted out, and they know the degrees by which they need to travel, right? And to, to get to a very specific point, you have to have a 
very specific path. And um, the unfortunate reality is, is that the further you are from your uh, the further you are from your destination, the less margin of error that you can um, that you can allow at your starting point. Because if I start here and my destination is way far away, if I start even a half of a degree off course, then by the time I actually get to the point where I, I am heading, I'm not going to be a half a degree off the mark. I'm going to be miles and miles and miles away. And when we, uh, when we allow right, the, the white lie to move us half a degree off of the mark at the beginning, we should not be surprised that as we travel through the course of life, that somewhere far down the road, we're going to be way far away from where we're supposed to be. Completely and 100% lost. Not knowing where we are. Not knowing how we got there, not knowing where to go from here. Because even at the starting point, we failed to rightly, like, we failed to rightly estimate the depth and power of being just a half a degree offline. Of course, like I said at the beginning, we talk about sin in its immensity and its completeness um, because without talking about the immensity and completeness of sin, there's really no power behind talking about the immensity and completeness of salvation. Okay? Um, but, uh, a, a reality of sin, a, a, a natural progression of sin is that it produces or it has attached to it consequences. There are, there are consequences to our sin. And, um, and understand that there really are Maybe it's an oversimplification, but understand that there are really two types of consequences when it comes to sin. There, there are consequences that have eternal weight, that, that echo in eternity. All right? But then there, are all, then there are consequences that have um, the here and now consequences. Right? So there, maybe we could say it like there are vertical consequences to our sin and there are horizontal consequences to our sin. And, and, and when, we, um, when, we, when we live in sinfulness or when we do sin, these consequences come to bear upon our lives. So... You know, if we were looking to maybe understand the, the depth and nature of the consequences that come from sin, we would look at passages of Scripture like Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where Paul, where, where Paul declares that um, the thing that 
sin leads to, or the eternal consequence of sin is death. Romans chapter, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. That there is, that there is eternal weight attached to our sinfulness. Now, thanks be to God that even though like, I'm trying to get there in the sermon and I don't want to like, let the cat out of the bag, we should never go so far away from Romans chapter 6, verse 23 without proclaiming that that's not even the full, right? That's not even the full verse, right? The Ro- uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that, of course, that God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to know eternal life. That God is not, that God is not eager to proclaim um, eternally the consequences of our sin, because what he is eager for us to do is to embrace by faith the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that we may, like Paul says, have eternal life as a gift of God. And of course, as we move on, we, we're going to read and know and hear that in the midst of eternal consequences, God offers to us, by faith in Jesus Christ, forgiveness for those sins. Here is, the, here is a huge boulder of God's mercy and grace to us, is that um, that God makes provision to erase the eternal consequence of your sin. That, that you, that we do not have to live in fear of death because of our sinfulness, but that, but that we can stand confidently in the assurance of salvation through Jesus Christ. That, that, that God has made a way for the eternal weight, the vertical consequence of our sin to be ameliorated, to be taken care of, to be covered over. That, that hey, look, God's like, look, you, you're going to probably have enough on your plate dealing with the horizontal consequences of your sin, right? In my gracious love and forbearance, the vertical dimension or consequence of your sin is covered over. That, that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That, that all who, that all who um, call on the name of Jesus will be freely justified by his grace. Here's is that forgiveness always and forever will eliminate the eternal consequences of our sin. And it will, listen sometimes eliminate some temporary consequences. Sometimes. This is largely circumstantial. Right? There's not a, there's not a way to figure out if forgiveness that is granted and offered by God or forgiveness that is given, say, for instance, if I sin against, if I yell at my wife, right, and I say something 
very mean and nasty, right? Because I'm a sinful person, and I say, Sherry, please forgive me. And, and the dishonor that I have showed her and that God holds me accountable for, like God has forgiven me of that, and my wife forgives me of that. She erases that debt that I've created in our relationship. But there has, now, now that there's, like, there's this emotional gap, that there's this consequence, this horizontal consequence that I, that I must now deal with. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily close the gap right away, right? I have to earn her love and trust and affection and, and honor her, right? And as, even as best as she may desire for that gap to be closed, right, the consequence of that action requires that it's going to take some time. That it's not immediately eliminated. And sometimes it is. Like I said, it's, it's circumstantial. How temporary consequences are removed in the midst of horizontal forgiveness. What we, what we read last week and what I want to draw our attention to again this week in Genesis chapter 3, when, um, when the consequences of sin were pronounced upon Adam and Eve as they, as they sinned against God and what they did, if you remember from last week, um, we're right at Genesis chapter 3, kind of the whole chapter, is that um, Adam and Eve made a choice. Uh, they made a choice to disobey God. Um, their sinfulness was then exposed to them. Their shame was exposed. That God went and found them in their shame brought them out of the bushes, asked them a bunch of questions, kind of got down to the bottom, um, the bottom of the issue, like, okay, what's going on here, right? Figured out, of course, like, that there was this issue of sin, and in that moment, right, God proclaimed consequence. There are, there are consequences to the decisions that you have made, Adam and Eve, here they are, dot, 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 dot. Right? And then after the consequences were proclaimed, right, then God went to work covering over their shame in Genesis 3, verse 21. That he made provision by sacrificing an animal, right, to make garments that covered over their nakedness. Of course, we talked last week about how in God's grace, right, a sacrifice was made so that our shame was not just open for the world to see. But there is an interesting thing here that I want to, um, that I just want to point all of our, bring all of our attention to. The nature of consequences are not always just personal and individual. In um, Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, God is speaking and says to Adam, he said, because you listen to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you. Men, husbands, you need to listen to your wives. All right, this is not an excuse, right? Say, so, well, God, Adam in trouble. <laughs> listen to your wife. There's wisdom there, right? Your wife is a gift to you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Listen. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it 
all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For, the du- for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Listen, we often think of the consequences of sin only having effect on me. Like, okay, this is my issue, and this happened to me, and I did X, Y, and Z, and therefore I have to pay the consequences. But at the very, at the very start, at the very start, sin was not just an individual issue. That the consequences for sin were not focused or contained in Adam and Eve themselves, but that it, it spread like wildfire to the whole of creation. That, that now the whole of creation was affected by their decision. And, and listen, understand, right, that, that, the, that the consequences, that the horizontal consequences of our sin does not always just stay with us. That it has ramifications that sometimes we don't even understand. Spreading far and wide. In fact, um, Paul says in Romans uh, chapter 8, right, he says that the whole of creation groans in eager anticipation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed because the cre- even the creation itself, all of creation is under this crushing weight of sin that it's waiting to be redeemed from. That the consequences of our sin don't just stick with us. They, they spread. They transfer. Right? They flood over the lives and situations of others. But listen. No matter how great our sin, no matter how great our sin, the forgiveness of God is always greater. The forgiveness of God is always deeper. The forgiveness of God is always higher. It's always wider. It always goes farther. You cannot out-wicked the forgiveness of God. That God's pursuing love will wait in patience and forbearance. I read from this scripture last week, and I'll read, for it again, uh, read from it again this week. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, where John proclaims that if we confess our sins, actually, if you even back up to verse 8, you'll see that John does the whole like, hey, everyone, let's, let's do a reminder here. Sin is real. It's deep. It's heavy. It's far-reaching. No one can say that they are without it, right? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1, 8. But if we confess our sins, John says, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, that in, in the moment of confession where our sin is spread abroad before us, that, that confessing to the Lord our woeful inadequacy to take away our own sin, that He is faithful and He is just and He will cleanse us from all of our sin and all of our unrighteousness. That we, we will be 
purified. Not just John, but Paul also says it in similar language in Ephesians chapter 1 when he, when he says, in him or in Jesus, Ephesians 1 verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, that through the blood of Jesus, in accordance with the riches of God's grace to us, that we have been purified and justified and been made whole before God. That there was no length that God was not willing to go to take everything that was wicked about us and make it pure. Sin is real, consequences are real, forgiveness is real, and then finally, last point for this morning, Jesus always wins. Jesus always wins. He always, 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 always wins. The only time, the only time that Jesus doesn't win is when we don't let him into the game. Like, we've, we've, got, we've got a choice. Like, we can, we can walk through life playing the game by ourselves. Trying to make all of the right decisions, do all of the good things, say all of the right words, think all of the right thoughts have all of the right relationships, make zero mistakes, playing the game by ourselves, swinging and missing but getting back up to the plate, maybe hitting a few home runs, but forever Jesus is in the dugout on the bench, right? And that is a game you can only lose. It's a game you'll only lose. But Jesus is the ringer. Jesus is the one that only needs to be allowed into the game. When we, when we let Jesus play the game, he always wins. When we allow Jesus to take over the role... of doing the right things and saying the right things and thinking the right things and being the right person, then he always wins. I have said this a few times in the last couple of days, this last week. I think I said it in all three of our, our, prayer, um, our prayer meetings that we had here. And um, 
I'll, I'll say it again this morning and then I'll, um, I'll be done. It's from 1 John chapter 2, right after where we just read. Uh, where John says, if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice of our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. You see, before we let Jesus into the game, um, we are making our own defense before the Father. Right? We are going through all of the good things that we do and say and all of the great, like, all of the, the great things that we have done in our life. And we do this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I said this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And, and, and we, it's like we're, I mean, we're swing that, that ball's coming down, right? And we're swinging as hard as we can, but every, it doesn't matter how hard we swing, it doesn't matter how perfect our form is, it's always just like a complete whiff, right? Like we just can never, we can never connect. We're just, we're, we're whiffing the entire time, right? Always and forever going to miss that ball of doing it good enough, working hard enough, being good enough, being the good person who does good things, never going to hit that ball. And the Father stands... We stand before the Father in, in the reality that we are powerless to connect. Jesus walks in the room. And in our, in our powerlessness, in our powerlessness to defend our, our good works before the Father. Jesus doesn't just stand beside us and defend us to the Father. Jesus literally steps in front of us. And, and in that moment, Jesus takes up the cause of our defense before the Heavenly Father. And Jesus doesn't. What Jesus doesn't do is say, hey, look, Look at all these great things that Cameron has done. He's done this and this and this. and Like, isn't that good enough? Is, doesn't that make the mark? Doesn't that, doesn't that hit the target? That, that's, not, that's not the way that Jesus goes about standing in front of the Father in our defense. What, the way that Jesus goes about it, right? Because the way that John says it is that, that Jesus stands as our defense before the Father as the righteous one, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so what he does is Jesus wraps up all of his own righteousness, all of his perfection, all of his obedience before the Father, the perfectness of everything that Jesus is, and he picks it all up, and he places it in our arms, and now we are holding it 
and then in exchange, he takes all of our filthy rags, right? All of these things that we thought would make it, would like get us across the finish line. And so now Jesus is the one holding the filthy rags, and we're here, we're standing here holding the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see the things that we've worked hard and strived to do to earn favor before him. All he does is he looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees the life and work of Jesus Christ. He sees the obedience of Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus will, willfully takes off his own righteousness and puts it like a robe and a cloak around us. And now when God looks at us, he sees Jesus and only Jesus. That is the reality of our forgiveness. That is the reality of our victory. Not that Jesus, not that Jesus drags us across the line, the finish line of victory, but that, but that Jesus wins it for us. I so desperately want, I so desperately want you to understand. I so, I so desperately want you to hear, not, not my words, right? But to hear the word, hear the word of God, like hear the Holy Spirit this morning. That, that not only, um, that not only is, is in Jesus, like victory found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. But like, Jesus is the only way out. He's the only way out of every brokenness. He's the only way out of every missed expectation or every disappointment. He's the He's the only way out of every broken relationship. He's the only way out of every impure thought, of every moment of anxiety or depression or anger. Like, Jesus is the only way out. He, does not, he doesn't just win the victory, right? He fights the battle. And, and running to Jesus... Hiding in Jesus, finding yourself in Jesus is the only secure way. It's the only secure place. You will not find it by running to the church. You will not find it by running to your pastor. You will not find it by running to your spouse. You will not find it by running to your children. You will not find it by throwing yourself into your work or volunteering a lot, or being a good person. You will find it. You will find it only in him. Not the things of Jesus, but in Jesus himself. In Jesus himself. 
We're going to invite the, the band back up. And I know that they um, have uh, two songs. We have two songs left. One that um, they're just going to sing over you, right? Like as a prophetic proclamation of God's, like, speaking. Okay? That, that God, that receive it as God's, like, proclamation and word to you this morning. The first song. And then the second song, we'll, um, we will stand and um, enter back into worship as, uh, as a family here. I love you. I love you deeply. I, I give myself to you to serve you, to, to be for you who you need as, as much as I am able. Not because I'm, like, listen, not because I'm, oh, he's such a good guy. No, 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 no. Because, no, because the goodness of, because the goodness of Jesus, right, is overwhelming me. That's all. And I don't have all the answers. And like I said, next week I will disappoint you. But what I promise to do is always love you and always serve you, and always work super hard. <laughs> I'll drag you kicking and screaming to the cross of Jesus if I have to, right? But I'm with you. I'm with you, and Jesus is with us. Heavenly Father, we pray... Um, Lord, we know that you speak to us in many ways. You speak to us through the indwelling power of your Holy Spirit. You speak to us through your word. Um, we trust that you um, have spoken to each uh, man, woman, and child in this room this morning through your word. And Lord, um, you can speak to us through uh, worship. You do speak to us through worship. And so, Lord, we receive this morning now um, this next word that comes, this next word that comes to us from you. Lord, that we would find, we would find ourselves in this, that we would stop our running, that we would stop our hiding, that if we are going to hide any place, if we are going to run to any location, it's going to be straight to you, that we are going to hide in your faithfulness to us, we are going to hide in your love. Lord, call forth out of our spirits a response to you. In Jesus' name, amen.